There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grombacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action this week is Nate Roten, the executive director of One in Ten, an organization which envisions a world where all LGBTQ youth and young adults are embraced for who they are, actively engaged in their communities, and empowered to lead. Welcome, Nate. Thank you. Happy to be on. So you and 1 in 10 are currently in an awesome new location, but prior to that, my wife Emily and I actually helped to throw some paint on the walls of your previous location about four or five years ago. So we do feel like we have a bit of a personal connection to your organization. So Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we have, you know, being in the, in the Valley for 25 years and the uh, former youth center was open for six years there are so many people in the community that have been a part of making us who we are today. And certainly fresh paint on the walls of the former center is a part of that for sure. (laughs) Every little bit helps, right? (laughs) Right. So Nate, tell us a little bit about your career path, how you found yourself at this point to be executive director. Yeah. You know, I've been saying recently that I feel as though the nonprofit sector chose me uh, it was not a, a sector that I was immediately looking to get into. After I graduated uh, from um, business school, I went into um, consumer product sales and marketing, which I helped launch Gogurt for General Mills and uh, different brands of that sort. And from there, I went into more of a financial career path and spent 14 years in finance for uh, construction companies. And uh, I was in a role of a CFO uh, slash operations for a construction company here in, in the Valley. And I enjoyed it because it gave me a lot of time to do other things, which meant nonprofit work. And I served on various boards and did a lot of volunteer work and volunteer fundraising um, at both the state and national level uh, with organizations like the Human Rights Campaign and others. And I really just enjoyed doing that work so much. I enjoyed doing something that I felt was giving back to the community at the same time, you know, using some of my skill set that I didn't get to use sitting in a construction office. So I was getting closer to the uh, magical milestone birthday of 40 years old and decided I wanted to make some changes as I set into the kind of the next phase of my professional career life. And I started looking at the nonprofit space uh, with a lot of interest. And I had done a program here locally called Leading for Change. And Leading for Change really focuses on preparing people to either run for office or work in the nonprofit space, uh, serving on boards, things of that sort, committees at the government level. But then I also did a program called Flynn Brown. And Flynn Brown focuses on much the same, but really gives you an in-depth viewpoint on what happens at the government level and then in the nonprofit sector, how they're working uh, interchangeably to, to really create change and drive a better Arizona. And that's how I ended up shifting to nonprofit. I applied for the position of development director at one in 10 and the rest is kind of history. I've been here for three years. I served as development director for a little over a year and then director of finance and operations. Again, that finance piece came back to grab me. 
uh, and did that for a year and then became executive director in January when our previous executive director retired. Nate, I'd love for, well, thank you for sharing that. I love because your background is unique. Talk a little bit about how uh, being in the for-profit space has actually helped you in the nonprofit sector and what unique skills you've brought and how that's kind of helped build upon that. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's interesting because I feel like there's actually a lot more similarities with for-profit and nonprofit than would initially meet the eye. And one of my favorite things to talk about in a nonprofit setting is ROI or return on investment. And when I first came into nonprofit, and particularly here at One in Ten, that wasn't a very comfortable term to be throwing around because people like to say, well, you know, we're helping youth and we're, we're doing this great work and we can't look at it from, you know, what is the return on investment? But actually we can. And when we do that, we're driving an, an increased level of service offering to our clients. So in this case, our LGBT youth that we are serving and making sure that we are being as impactful as possible with the dollars that we are getting primarily from individual donors. So we're only 15% funded by grants. And really most of our funding is coming from our events that we put on. And then also our individual donors that, that donate to us on a monthly basis or annually or what have you. And so we need to be extremely resourceful with each dollar that we get, but also ensuring that we're maximizing the value to our clients. And I think a lot of those, a lot of that thought process and those terminal, that terminology is what they look at every day in for-profit, but a lot of nonprofits are scared to do that. And I think once you start to talk through that with your staff, they can, they can see that actually it's, it's quite the same and we're really deriving better results by doing that. So we do that frequently at 1 in 10 and it's something that I really pride my team and in, in doing and making sure that you know just because we've done something for five or ten years doesn't mean that we have to do it tomorrow and doesn't mean that it's the best thing to do so we're constantly evaluating our programs and looking to make sure that we're investing our our donors dollars in in the best way possible nice i love it just because we've always done it a certain way doesn't mean we're going to keep doing it that way. <laughs> not not the Absolutely. easiest thing. Absolutely. Amen. Not the easiest thing in the world all all the time, but well, I think that this is a what's certainly my favorite question and and probably excellent and 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 timely for our conversation because you've been with 1 in 10 for 3 years. So, what are the three biggest things you've learned over the past 3 years? One thing that immediately comes to mind actually is a, a lesson or, or learning that has come pretty recently. And that's, I, I have to be kind to myself. I can't do everything. And that really has come about since becoming executive director. And I had these, you know, grand plans of what I wanted to accomplish in my first 100 days, like I'm the president of the United States or something to that. <laughs> and right. at the end of the day, I can, I can look back and I can say, certainly, uh, myself and my team have accomplished a lot this year. It wasn't everything I wanted to accomplish, but I have to also look at this as a long game and, and say, you know, just because we didn't accomplish X, Y, Z within these number of days doesn't mean that we haven't done some really great work, but let's not lose sight of, of accomplishing that eventually. So, you know, there, there is such a thing as moving at a nonprofit pace. I don't love that. And where I can push that, I certainly do. But there, there is some truth to, we have, 11 full-time employees and eight part-time and everyone does a lot of great work and you know we don't have 
an HR role or a CFO right now or uh, those those positions that that inevitably is all part of my job at this juncture. So it's really splitting yourself. And that, you know, another thing that that brings to mind that I've learned in the last three years is to really look at specializing and be trying to become an expert in something. And I think as we get older and, you know, certainly now that I'm in my 40s, uh, you know, looking at what can we become a true expert on and rather than trying to learn about everything, really focusing on something. And for me, that's really changed uh, over my service path with the nonprofit sector and looking at how can I become a specialist in nonprofit management and then take some of the learnings that I have already um, had the, you know, uh, experience with to apply that and, and teach others in the sector and, and, and help to spread that knowledge base. Um, and then finally, I would say one of my biggest learnings over more than just the last three years, but um, is to really admit when you're wrong and face it head on and look at creating solutions around that. So if something doesn't work out and, you know, you've taken a calculated risk and for whatever reason it doesn't, doesn't pan out, accept it, admit it to your team or those involved and then work on solutions. I think, in, in today's world, everyone's so afraid of, you know, showing, a, you know, bad faith and, and admitting something like that, when in actuality, if you can do that at the onset of a problem, it makes things much easier to solve uh, in the short term. That's great. Nate, thanks for sharing those three, especially the piece, the last piece about vulnerability and um admitting problems. So we've gone over your background and how you approach the nonprofit sector, but um, wanted you to give uh, give you the opportunity to go more about what One in 10 does, the scope of work, kind of the mission, the vision, and some of the big highlights. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, our, so our vision in short is that we're, we envision a world where all LGBTQ youth and young, adult, young adults are embraced for who they are, actively engaged in their communities and empowered to lead. And we say youth and young adults because we provide services for youth ages 11 to 24. So we have a variety of different programs that you know, really target specific age groups, but overall that's what we serve. Our mission is even more broad and in, in, in a very basic way, it's really just to serve LGBTQ youth and young adults. So I like to say to our staff and our board and our donors that that's our mission and we have to keep that front and center in everything we do. All of our programs are vehicles by which we use to achieve that mission. So just because we've always provided housing, for instance, that's a vehicle with which we're helping to ensure that LGBTQ youth can become the best they can be. But it doesn't mean that we'll always do it. And, and I, don't, I don't point out housing because uh, we're thinking about not doing that because it's absolutely critical. But I just think we have to keep our mission front and center in what we do. So we're accomplishing our mission today through our youth center, the, the brand new space that uh, well, it's been open for almost a year now. September 18th will be our one-year anniversary down in downtown Phoenix on First Street in Portland. Then we also have what I call our hallmark programs, and that would include our outdoors camp, which it's in its 11th year this year, and that's a, an LGBTQ-inclusive camp experience up in northern Arizona where we take 175 youth uh, and take them to camp offering over 50 different workshops all around leadership development, self-esteem, uh, suicide prevention, 
really these critical pieces that they need in their lives. And then uh, we also have our QBLC, or what, what is called the Queer Blended Learning Center. This is a, an online high school diploma program that is operated in partnership with K-12 Arizona Virtual Academy, where we provide a safe space for youth that in many cases have been bullied out of traditional school to attend and get their high school diploma in person here at the youth center. There's an on-site coordinator and then, but it's, it's online instruction, but yet they have that community space to be together and use the youth center for lunch and recess and things of that sort. That program is five years old and, and has really been a great success and, and service to our youth. Um, we also then do housing that I mentioned before, our pond or promise of a new day housing program located at 209 West Jackson in downtown Phoenix. And we've provided supportive housing to 109 youth since the program's inception in 2012. Currently we have 10 youth in housing there and are looking at ways that we can increase that uh, service offering uh, for additional youth because we always have more youth on our wait list than we can serve. Then our final program is our YES Youth Education and Success Workforce Development Program. This is really looking at how we can improve the financial literacy and job readiness of our youth so that they can not only apply and get jobs, but get better jobs, get the jobs with direct pipelines to university education and things of that sort. So really, um, you know, a great program in and of itself. But so as you can see, we, we do a lot of different programming for our youth. It's, we're not just the youth center or just serving uh, homeless youth. We're serving all youth. And I like to say that a one in 10 youth looks like any kid on the, on the streets or in the malls or whatever. I don't think kids go to malls anymore, but um, <laughs> it, we, we have, we have youth being dropped off at our, some of our satellite locations by their supportive parent and their Cadillac Escalade. We have youth taking light rail for, uh, you know, 10 plus miles to get to our youth center so they can take a, a shower in a safe, clean facility and get clothes from our clothing closet and get food. We served 5,228 meals uh, out of our youth center in 2017. So, uh, you know, the work that we're doing is um, it, it's, it's varied and it's, we really meet the youth where they are and provide them the services that they need to be the best they can be. Well, that's a lot of, incredible work that you guys are doing and a lot of really, really great programs. So I certainly appreciate that because there's such a big need for it. Where did the name one in 10 come from? It, it, it was, it arrived or it was uh, derived out of the thought in particularly in the nineties that one out of every 10 person is LGBT. Um, and now they've done a lot more work around different age groups and things of that sort. And the percentage really uh, varies based on what, what age group you're looking at. But um, they now believe it's maybe about one in 8.75. <laughs> but so that's where the, the term one in 10 came. We're not going to change it to one in 8.75. But <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't have the same rank for sure. It, it doesn't. It doesn't. No. <laughs> well, Nate, I, I, I appreciate all this. I wanted to circle back to, to some of the, the, the three biggest learnings that you've had over the past three years. Um, Cause I know that I, I'm somebody that, that, that's, that's pretty critical of myself um, were you extremely hard on yourself and, and, and how has that, how has that been being more kind to yourself? Has that been easy to do? Is it something you work on every day? 
it's definitely something that I work on every day. I one of the the things that that I did when I became executive director is I reached out to others that work in this field that have been serving as CEOs or executive directors for other nonprofits for a you know a longer period of time than me at at several weeks at that point, recognizing that I don't know everything and I certainly have ideas of things that I I feel are are needed or changes to make or the best practices. But at the end of the day, you only know what, what you know, what your experiences have taught you and, and what your formal education has taught you. So I created this network of, of I would say, um, kind of like a kitchen cabinet uh, to help me through this. And one of my now has become a, a, a dear friend, uh, Laura Capello, the CEO of Valley Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, has been you know great because she's been in her role for five plus years and has all these great learnings and experiences. And so, to find people like that when you go into a new role that you can you know really lean on as as a coach and a mentor um, to help you through these some of these experiences, particularly when you're new in the role, and it can be lonely being in a, a role where you're technically at the top of an organization. Um, but I also have an incredible board of directors. Our board chair, Carmen Jandasek, has been an incredible partner uh, for me in this work. And um, she you know, has a, a wealth of experience as well. But so it's identifying those people in your life that can help lead you through these things, all while recognizing that you don't have all the answers all the time. And so I, I think I wouldn't say that I'm extremely hard on myself, but I'm just more um, realistic about what I can and can't do and, and identifying opportunities for improvement. And I think that continual improvement mentality leads to a better management style and recognizing that other people on your team are critical for making decisions because you don't have all the answers all the time. Nate, I'd love your thoughts. Um, one of the big themes on our show is just the power of people, the power of connections. And we've talked about mentorship in a lot of different areas. What would your advice be on someone for finding a professional mentor, someone to help guide them like those folks have guided you? I've, I've given this advice to several people on our team as well, and I, ju I say just make the ask because every single person that I asked, even if I didn't know them before, I'm, I reached out to some of them via LinkedIn and knowing their reputation in the sector or knowing about their organization, and people really like to be asked for their opinions and their help in these types of situations. And, and the four people that I asked all said yes immediately. So I think it's just having the courage to reach out. And people seem to, um, you know, really think of it as, as a compliment when you do so. Yeah, I think that I think that people, for the most part, will definitely respond positively when 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 you ask for help. Um, and I, I also wanted to get your 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 take on why it is you think that we as human beings have such a hard time admitting when we're wrong. And unfortunately, we have a lot of pretty public examples of people right now who don't ever admit when they're wrong. In fact, they, they double down on things. Um, but so why, why do you think that that is? I think there's this um, need to be right, certainly, but also this overwhelming desire to, and I, I think social media contributes to this. Everyone wants to look like we have the most perfect life and reflect that, you know, I have 
so many friends. I'm constantly busy. I'm just killing it at work and competing <laughs> and all these things. And, and they're afraid to face that every single one of us goes through uh, some, some dark times, some bad times. And, you know, at, when I was in fourth grade, uh, my father went to jail for some really uh, bad decisions that he made in his life. And, you know, it's, it's a, an eye-opening scene to go and visit your father and have to talk on a phone through glass and recognize that this person that you thought was pretty perfect is far from it. And I think learning like that in an early age for me uh, helped me to understand that um, it, it's okay that if you have a bad day sometimes, because predominantly most of my days are amazing and great, but I don't have to act like they're all like that. Um, another thing that I like to remind myself of is 99.9999% of the world doesn't know who Nate Roten is. So yes, I'm making an impact in different ways. And I certainly have a group of folks and people around me and community that know and love me and that I feel like I'm making a difference for. But most of the world doesn't know who I am. And frankly, they don't care. And it, so I, I like to remind myself of that, not to knock myself down, but to recognize that, you know, I, I don't have to be perfect for everybody. It's this is a world where we're all trying to to do our thing and, and, and hopefully make a difference. But uh, it doesn't mean that I'm the, the big dog in, in, in the, on the totem pole kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that very much. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I think that any time that, that we can be vulnerable and like what you said, just simply admitting when we're wrong, we made a mistake that really helps to endear people to us. And because we all know that we all make mistakes and it's disingenuous, frankly, when people don't admit when they're wrong, when oftentimes they clearly are. But so anyway, <laughs> well, Nate, knowing that the whole world would hear it, what plea would you make? I would right after just saying that 99.0% of the world doesn't know who I am. <laughs> um, I, I, I would say uh, that I, I would make a plea for understanding for a, a a time and a place where we're all truly looking to understand as opposed to being right or making a point. I think particularly in today's political climate, both here in the U.S. and internationally, that if we all were coming at this from a standpoint of understanding each other, we would get so much more done. And there seems to be this, you know, my way or the highway kind of mentality. And we're not trying to, we're not seeking for understanding. And if, if instead we were to, you know, reach over to our neighbor or perhaps that person that we really don't see eye to eye with in an attempt to understand where they're coming from, I think there could be so much more that we could, could do um, both here in our community, in the nonprofit space, in the for-profit space, nationally and you know internationally there's just by understanding each other we would get so much further amen brother well where can people learn more about one in ten how can they get involved and engaged with with the group yes uh so we do have a website www.oneinten.org that's spelled out o-n-e the letter n-t-e-n.org and we also have information available on facebook we are launching our first ever app that will primarily be devoted to connecting youth to resources, but that will be online hopefully by the end of this month after uh, quite a bit of development. But folks can get involved with us 
through volunteering as well. We uh, actively engage 150 to 200 volunteers a year at the minimum. Uh, we do volunteer open houses here at the youth center where folks can find out about different opportunities. And we don't have the date of our next open house up yet, but by liking us on Facebook, you'll see that information or they can email us uh, here at the office. Our volunteer uh, coordinator is Danny Logan and her email is D-A-N-I, Danny at one in 10.org. Excellent. Well, Centauri, what have we forgotten to talk about? Nothing. I feel like there'd be a lot of other questions I have, but thanks for joining us, Nate. Thanks for sharing. One, I love you talking about your leadership style. That's been really informative. And then about the impactful work that One in Ten is doing. So thank you for being on. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Excellent. Well, Nate, thank you so much. And thanks, as always, for listening. Please do subscribe to the show. And Share us on social media and share us with somebody who you think would appreciate it. Go to oneinten.org, get involved. Um, and as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.